Welcome to Sightseeing Japan, the podcast where we explore the land of rural culture. I'm Paul Bresson. And I'm Jason Neeling. And today we're talking about another region of Japan, the Tohoku region. This region is located in northeastern Honshu, stretching between the Kanto region, which is where Tokyo is, and Hokkaido, that big island up north. Basically, that whole area in between there is the Tohoku region. Geographically, a lot of space. Population-wise, not a huge percentage. Yeah. I'm excited about this one because I didn't know much about Tohoku. Yeah, me either. Uh, I've been to Sendai and kind of around that area, but the rest of it, yeah, I really had no idea what was out there. Did you know that makes you special, Jason? Why is that? Because only 1% of foreign visitors to Japan spend any time in Tohoku. 1%? Only 1%. Wow. That's surprising. I'm, and they're missing out. Yeah, they really are. I found, that I mean, I saw, me. yeah, I saw a lot of cool stuff in Sendai and researching this, there's a lot of other cool stuff around there. Yep. Not as easy to get around. We'll get into later some travel tips and how to get around a little bit, but, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of good stuff to see, as we'll see soon. Yeah. So just to give you some general info about the region, let's start with the name. Why is it called the Tohoku region? Because uh, Tohu lived there. <laughs> Paul's just making stuff up now. <laughs> uh, words are your thing. Okay. Well, the name is actually pretty self-explanatory, if, uh, if you know Japanese, because the first kanji, to is actually the same kanji used in the word Tokyo. It just means east. And then the second kanji, hoku, is the same kanji used in Hokkaido, that big island way up north. And that kanji just means north. So the Tohoku region just means the northeast region. Okay, makes sense. Yeah, pretty simple. <laughs> uh, so the region is made up of six prefectures. Yeah, mm-hmm. Aomori, Akita, Iwate, Yamagata, Miyagi, and Fukushima prefectures, which, as Paul mentioned, are generally pretty sparsely populated. Fukushima is pretty famous these days. Yep, that's probably the one you're most likely to have heard of. I've heard of Miyagi. It's because I'm a huge Initial D fan, and they go racing Mount Miyagi. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Tohoku kind of has a reputation for being remote, scenic, having a harsher climate, because it's up north. And there's a big mountain range running through Tohoku as well. The O Mountains? Yep. They'll stretch pretty much all the way through the region from north to south, spanning 500 kilometers, or 311 miles. Uh, It's actually the longest mountain range in the country. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. So most of the region is made up of what you might call the Inaka. You heard that word before, Paul? Mm, No. The Inaka is the countryside. Ah. So you got lots of tiny towns, rice fields, generally pretty rural. Tohoku makes up almost a fifth of Japan's area, but contains less than a tenth of the population. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I found it was interesting that the coastline there just isn't good for seaports. So there was never a lot of sea travel. There's definitely some major ports here and there. But a lot of the coast is no good for boats going in and out, which led to a lot of inland transportation, which is different than a lot of other parts of Japan. 
Hmm. A lot of more roads and trains is what people use to get around. Cool. As for climate in the Tohoku region, it's a bit colder than the rest of Honshu and is known for getting a lot of snow. But that O mountain range kind of divides the region into two different climatic areas, apparently. The western area is supposed to have warmer summers and snowy winters, and the east half is supposed to have cooler summers and drier winters. That makes sense. You got the Pacific side and then the Sea of Japan side. Mm -hmm. And the western part actually gets more snowfall than almost anywhere else on the planet. So that's a great place for skiing and snowboarding. And they have hot springs over there that you can warm up in afterwards. Sounds amazing. I really want to take a vacation like that, like an onsen resort that's also got skiing. Yeah. That sounds really great. We got to do that someday. And we're going to talk about a few places that you could do that. So let's go through a brief history of the Tohoku region. Yeah. Give us a perspective on how it ended up how it is. Yeah. In ancient times, Tohoku made up most of what was called Azuma, the part of Honshu that was populated by two native peoples, the Emishi and the Ainu. So we talked about the Ainu before in previous episodes, but this was the first I think I had heard of the Emishi. Yeah, I feel like I've heard the word before, but I never knew much about them. But I looked into it, and part of that reason is because no one knows much about them. Yeah. Um, The Emishi are not a group that's around anymore. They all either died off or got assimilated into traditional Japanese society. So there's a lot of theories. Some people think they were very closely related to the Ainu. Some people think that they were very distinctly their own thing. Uh, One interesting thing is that they fought on horseback, which uh, made them hard for the Japanese to defeat for a while. Interesting. Yeah. So... The Amishi, I'm sure, still resonate in the culture today, but it's hard to know exactly in what ways because their culture's not around in its own distinctive way anymore. Mm. Do we know around what time period the culture kind of was assimilated or disappeared? Um, Yeah, I mean, they were still fighting battles with the Japanese into at least the 1300s, I think. Wow. So they were, they were around for a while. There was a lot of mixing with the Japanese. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so over time, Japanese civilization became firmly established in central and southwest Japan. And it was between the 7th and 9th centuries when they started pushing north into the Tohoku region where the Emishi and Ainu people were living. By the 12th century, a noble family, the northern Fujiwara, ruled the Tohoku region as their own independent realm. So the imperial court was still in Kyoto at the time, but the Fujiwaras were doing their own thing up there. They didn't want anything to do with those southerners. But the Minamotos were looking to form the Kamakura Shogunate, a military dictatorship, and they were kind of duking it out with the Taira down there, right, Paul? Yep. So they defeated the Taira in 1185, and then they moved north, and they're like, hey, Fujiwaras, We're not cool with you guys just hanging out up here doing your own thing anymore. So they overwhelmed the Fujiwaras in 1189 and united the country under their rule, which lasted for around 150 years. Toward the end of the Sengoku period and into the Edo period, Date Masamune, a powerful daimyo in the region, expanded trade 
built palaces. He had a lot to do with developing and beautifying the Tohoku region. He also, I thought this was interesting, he encouraged foreigners to come to the area and even worked to establish relationships with the Pope in Rome. Yeah, that is interesting. I think that was before Japan's isolationist policy. You know, Japan's known for historically being isolationist, but that was mostly during the Edo period. Right. Uh, the Tokugawa's outlawed Christianity in 1614. But up until then, I, thought, I just thought it was interesting that Date Masamune seems to have been sympathetic towards Christian missionaries and traders from other countries. Yeah. And he's very famous in Japanese history, it seems. Yeah. Heard his very name a well lot. known. Mm-hmm. A lot of sites of his still remain. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, he built this or he lived here or whatever. So that's cool. Uh, during the early Edo period, there was a haiku poet, Matsuo Basho, who wrote Oku no Hosomichi, the narrow road to the deep north, during his travels in Tohoku. Hmm. And it's considered one of the major texts of the Edo period in Japan. Awesome. So a lot of poets, apparently, and our other artists go to Tohoku for inspiration in the wilderness and the beauty. Nice. I can imagine that. So for a long time, Tohoku was a place of tourism, trade, and prosperity. Skipping ahead to the modern era, the region is still known as a less developed area of Japan, as we said. But in the 1960s, I saw that some big industries started to develop, such as ironworks, steelmaking, cement, and petroleum refining. Mm Mm-hmm. So then, as uh, most of you probably know, on March 11th, 2011, there was a catastrophic earthquake in the Tohoku region. It was a 9.0 magnitude, and there was a tsunami with it Mm -hmm. that caused massive damage, killed over 15,000 people, Uh, was the costliest natural disaster ever in the world. It's horrible. And half a million people were left homeless. And there's ongoing radioactive fallout from the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant. It is mostly contained these days. Yeah, don't be afraid of visiting the region because of that. I read that it is safe to visit now. Yeah, they're actually, the zone that you can enter now is actually really small. For a while, it was fairly large. Now it's only like right around the plant that you can't enter. So after I scared everyone away, let's talk about Fukushima Prefecture and what there is to do and see there. There's a lot more than a nuclear power plant, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, you don't want to go see that anyways. So what cool places did you find in Fukushima, Jason? Well, Fukushima is known for having very fertile land, and they produce some of Japan's best fruit and sake. Ooh. It is also known for pristine wilderness, onsen, hot springs, and winter sports. In the south of the prefecture, you will find Oze National Park, which looks incredible. Did you look at pictures of that, Paul? Yes. Lots of hiking trails, mountain wetlands. The park is actually really, really big and stretches into a, a few neighboring prefectures too, but a big chunk is in Fukushima. And you know, I know in, in other episodes, especially the other region episodes, we've talked about a lot of different hiking places. But honestly, this, is, this might be one of the most impressive places I've seen. 
Like it's one of the places where you see those pictures and you're just like, I need to see that in person, you know? Mm. So there's like this massive marsh. And did you see these pictures? There's like a little narrow boardwalk kind of elevated above the marsh. So you can walk through there and just get these amazing views. Yeah. And it's even cooler because there was a volcano that erupted nearby. I'm not sure when. I think a long time ago as far as I understand it. But it deposited a whole bunch of various minerals into all the lakes and marshes nearby. So all the waters have different pH levels and different minerals in them. So as you walk by lake by lake, each water is tinted different colors. And the colors vary by time of day, how much sun is out, what season it is. So every time you go back there, all the water is going to look different. But you get these really cool like hues and colors. Yeah, uh, a specific place I saw mentioned is Goshkinuma. Yeah. There's a cluster of five of those volcanic lakes. Um, and it was, it was 1888 when Mount Bondi erupted and okay. created all this stuff. But yeah, the, the colors are crazy. I even saw a picture of one lake that looked like it was a few different colors even in this single lake. So yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, there's a trail that links like five of the major lakes there. And you can just go walk around and see them all. Yeah. And there's apparently colorful carp that swim around in these lakes too. That's always fun. And uh, just the whole area, like you said, is beautiful. Moss-covered trees, wild flowers. You can rent a rowboat at at least one of the lakes and go row around in like these like really cool colored lake. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Like that seems a lot of fun to me. So another place I want to go to in Fukushima is Ouchijuku. During the Edo period, it was a post town that served travelers. When all the daimyos had to come to Edo every year, they all, or a lot of the northern ones, went through this town and stopped in this town. Nice. Yeah, so there's a whole bunch of old buildings that are over 300 years old with the traditional thatched roofs. The streets have running water down each side. Reminds me of uh, a couple of post towns we went to, uh, not, in, not in the Tohoku region, but Paul and I hiked uh, the Nakasendo for a little bit, so this trail between Tokyo and Kyoto. And th- yeah, apparently there are a bunch of these post towns, like just little towns along these trails that people stopped at and you know they preserve all the old fashioned stuff. They're really cool looking places. Yeah. There's a big hill here overlooking the town with a temple on top of it. So you can hike up to the temple and then you turn around and you just get this great view of all these 300-year-old buildings in this town. It looked really nice. Sounds like it. And they're famous for their handmade soba noodles. Yum. But the gimmick is, instead of chopsticks, they give you leek, a leek to use somehow. A I don't know if they single leek? Yeah, that's what I was wondering. That's what it said when I read it, but I don't know how you eat noodle. I guess maybe you could, if the noodles were long enough, you could get them around the leek and like, that sounds like a challenge. Shovel like, them into your mouth, slurp them up. <laughs> here, take this leek and just, just try it. See how many noodles you can get in your mouth with this thing. It sounds like that's what they give to the tourist and then they all laugh, like <laughs> watching you try to eat it. <laughs> yeah. A leek. I can't imagine how that works. Yeah, they sell uh, locally made sake as well and some folk art and pottery. Cool. Just seems like a really nice place. Definitely. So we go to Fukushima. What type of food can we not miss? 
Don't worry, Paul. I got food for each one of these prefectures. You know, I'm all about those local specialties. <laughs> good, good. So in Fukushima Prefecture, a local specialty is Kitakata ramen, one of Japan's three most popular types of ramen, apparently. They use relatively thick noodles, has a soy sauce base, and it's usually topped with green onions, fish cake, chashu, that tender sliced pork that is oh, just so amazing, and bamboo shoots. And fun fact, the city of Kitakata, which is where this type of ramen originated, where it got its name, has the most ramen shops per capita of any city in the world. Wow. So if you're a ramen fan, go to Kitakata. Awesome. That's all I got for Fukushima. Let's talk about Miyagi. Okay. So that one's uh, northeast from Fukushima Prefecture. This is home to Sendai, the region's largest city. Yeah, Sendai's got just over a million people in it. And I don't think any other city in Tohoku even has half a million. So it's by far like this is the city of Tohoku. Yeah. Uh, it's located on the East Coast. It's an industrial, administrative, and transportation center. It has a couple important seaports and a major fishing harbor. And uh, like I said, this is the only big city that I've personally been to in the region. So I have a lot to say about this city. It's pretty cool. So it's just a couple hours from Tokyo on the bullet train. It's really not hard to get to at all. And most of the cool stuff is located downtown. So I would recommend walking down Josenji Dori, uh, a major street running east-west through the heart of the city. It's, I mean, it's got a lot of cool stuff on either side of the street to look at, but it's also just a really pretty street. <laughs> like it has Zelkova trees uh, lining the street, which are known as a symbol of Sendai, which is known as the City of Trees. Yeah, that's awesome. City of Trees, I was immediately like, oh, this place sounds cool. Mm -hmm. I'm into trees. Trees are pretty great. They keep us alive. They do. Uh, so right next to that street, you'll find Kokubuncho, the Tohoku region's most exciting entertainment district. So you might want to check that out if you're interested in the city's nightlife. They have lots of bars, izakaya, ramen shops, that kind of stuff. And next to that is Ichibancho Shopping Arcade. Ooh. Yeah, this place is cool. If you like shopping, you could spend at least an entire day there. Uh, so there are actually a bunch of covered shopping streets that are all connected. So this is actually the largest shopping arcade in the region. And I spent a lot of time there because it was raining a, a little bit while I was in Sendai. And since it's all covered, like, you know, you're walking down these streets, but you're protected from the elements. And there's so many different kinds of shops in there. That's where I got my, uh, my little matcha bowl, actually. Okay. Spent, yep. Spent some time in arcades there, too. A lot of fun stuff. Did you see the Sendai Daikanon? 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 Daikanon. Is this the um, Kanon, like the goddess of mercy, that one? Yeah. I did not. But I think I saw pictures of that, and I'm so sad I missed it. Yeah, it's a hundred meter tall statue. Apparently the fifth tallest statue in the world. As of 2018, I don't know if there's wow. been any big statues lately. So you can uh, enter the statue and take an elevator to the 12th level, and then you walk down the statue, and inside, there's a bunch of other little statues <laughs> of Buddhas huh. that you can see. That sounds cool. 
also, since I like history so much, it caught my eye. There's the Tomizawa Museum, and it has the preserved fossilized forest that has remains of human habitation from 20,000 years ago. Wow, 20,000 years? Yeah. So that I would love to see. Yeah. Any remnants of human activity that old, I find incredibly fascinating. I love old stuff, man. It's just crazy to think that there are things that still exist from that long ago. It's mind-blowing. I know, right? They like to party in Sendai, too. They've got the largest Tanabata festival in Japan every summer. They also have a really big jazz festival, too. That's one of the biggest amateur music festivals in Japan. Cool. Yeah, I did see, it seemed like one of the big things that people like to do in the Tohoku region is festivals. Like there's so many cool festivals in this region. Yeah. And there was apparently some art project where they placed a bunch of sculptures around the city on some of the main streets. Hmm. So that was cool. Like you might just stumble across art when you're walking around. Cool. Yeah. Um, You remember in the history section, we mentioned Date Masamune. Oh yeah. His mausoleum is in Sendai. Mm-hmm. It's called Zui Hoden, and it's really impressive looking, really ornate, a lot of intricate woodwork, lots of bright colors, pretty unique for, uh, for Japan. Like it's just a, a style you don't see all that often. You want to talk about food in Miyagi? Yeah, we should. Miyagi is the origin of several foods, including gyutan. I had to try that while I was there. <laughs> I had a lot of gyutan. Fairly grilled beef tongue. How was that? It's not bad. So it's not like, you know, you're not getting like this whole tongue just slapped down on your plate. You can't tell looking at it that it's tongue. They slice it up and marinate it and it's, I mean, it tastes like meat. I noticed it's a little like chewier or like uh, tougher, I guess. That's what I would imagine. Yeah, but it was good. I enjoyed it and I had it served like a lot of different ways. I had gyutan sausage, I had... A little little sliced up gyutan with sauce on there. I think I had a gyutan sandwich at some cafe. It's it's all over. Like you don't need to look very hard to find gyutan in Sendai anyway. Nice. Also, apparently the origin of roba taiyaki, which is Japanese style barbecue. Um, did you see anything about zunda mochi? Yeah, it looks good. I've never seen that, and I didn't know about it when I went to Sendai. But gotta try that out. They basically just mash up young soybeans like when they're still green the edamame stuff basically they mash that all up put it on mochi those little chewy rice dough ball things looks tasty yeah and sendai is known for sashimi and sushi and sake but i feel like we say that about every region because japan's just got a lot of that (laughs) yeah yeah i did see though if you like whiskey there's the nika distillery in sendai they do tours there they also have the Kirin Brewery there. Ooh, nice. Yep. Uh, uh, spicy miso ramen is popular. Okay. I like spicy ramen. I'm not too big on the spice. Miso ramen's good, though. I had that in Sapporo. I mean, I always thought of Sapporo. I mean, Sapporo is supposed to be the place where miso ramen originated. I wonder if Sendai took that and just made it spicy, and they're like, this is our thing now. <laughs> yeah, could be. <laughs> Uh, If you want to check out some local seasonal fish and produce in Sendai, they have an Asaichi morning market. There are like 40 stalls there 
and some of them f- sell ready-to-eat food. So you could just walk down there and grab some random food stall food for breakfast. Yeah, I saw a video about the morning market. It's apparently so big now that it's open all day. Oh, wow. Awesome. <laughs> but still called the morning market. So the last thing I wanted to say about Sendai is if you're staying there, you might want to take day trips out to Tashirojima, also known as Cat Island, or Zaokitsunemura, also known as the Fox Village. We talked about both of these places in episode 58. We talked about animal islands and villages. So if you want to hear more about those, go check out that episode. I went to both places like in two days and it was fun. I mean, I, I always like seeing animals, you know, and you can actually hang out with them and feed them and stuff. Good time. Animals are cool. They are. And Ishinomaki, this is like a little city where you take the boat to get to Cat Island. They have a manga museum there too. And like you were saying, Paul, you were talking about art just scattered around the city. Mm-hmm. At Ishinomaki, they have manga characters all over the city because there's a famous manga artist from there. And so his characters are just all over the place. That's fun. Yeah. So if you're into manga, definitely worth checking out. There's a couple other cool places in Miyagi that I saw. Uh, one is Zuyanji, which is a Zen Buddhist temple located in the town of Matsushima. It was founded in 828. One notable thing is that the temple features a bunch of caves carved into the rocks nearby, and they used to use the caves for memorial services. Hmm. And it seemed like now you can sometimes get tours of the caves. I love caves. So yeah, I was like, oh, you get to see like a really old temple and you get to like tour these caves. Like that seems really fun to me. Yeah. The temple grounds also contain an art museum too that displays various artifacts, including calligraphy from former head monks of the monastery. Also paintings on sliding doors and teacups. Awesome. So there's like a lot to do at that little temple. Yeah. And you know, the first time I heard about Japanese calligraphy, I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> you know, like, oh, you got a pretty scroll with something written on it. But I feel like over time, I've, I've really gained more of an appreciation for it. Like, I, I guess I've seen scrolls by people that weren't very good <laughs> or were trying it for the first time. And you just start to realize how much skill goes into making like a perfect scroll with the perfect proportions and, you know, a sense of style. Like, it's really amazing. And I would, I would love to see a bunch of old calligraphy scrolls. Yeah, if you really think about it, like, I would say half the people I work with have handwriting so bad, it's like almost hard to read. People can't even write normally. And these people are doing these beautiful calligraphy. Like, it takes so much practice and so much skill. Yeah. And like, I guess if you're used to only seeing like really beautiful, perfect ones made by, you know, yeah. highly skilled people, it's easy to just be like, oh, that's just like another one that I've seen. But once you start to see ones that, are done by you know amateurs it's like wow you can tell just at a glance like that's not done as well <laughs> you know yeah i feel like watching someone do calligraphy helps me appreciate how amazing it is the way they're changing which way the strokes go and the same brushes they make a thick line and then it thins out and Mm-hmm. I guess we're going to have to do an episode on calligraphy. I think we do. I think we really do. <laughs> Put it on the list. And like the, the fact that they use a brush 
adds a whole other dimension to it, you know? Like you can do a lot of things with the brush. Yeah, and you can see like the marks from each little strand of hair in that brush. When you do calligraphy, are you drawing or are you writing or are you painting? That's the burning question I have. Yeah, I feel like it is more of a painting thing. Like you're not thinking as much about you're using a brush. Yeah. Well, you'll find, well, I'll find out in our calligraphy episode. Yeah, we'll do that. <laughs> I've got one more cool place in Miyagi, the Matsushima Bay Islands. There's over 260 tiny little islands covered in pine trees. It's ranked as one of the three views of Japan. Mm-hmm. Couldn't tell you who made that ranking or what it means, but you can rent boats to go out and get a closer look at the islands or you can rent bicycles and just ride up and down the beach and look at them it's supposed to be really beautiful awesome up next we got yamagata prefecture yeah so this one's just west of miyagi prefecture and i saw that this prefecture is probably best known for zao onsen ski resort one of the top mountain tourist spots in the country. So this is one of those places I was talking about where you can ski and snowboard and it's an own sense. You can, you know, spend all day working hard on your snowboard or your skis and then you can hang out in the hot springs and relax when you're done. Sounds awesome. Yeah. I always need it. I don't understand how you never fall when we snowboard. Like, I feel like I'm a decent snowboarder and I'm fine most of the time. But I always just like eventually catch an edge once and boom, I'm on my face. And you just snowboard all day and never fall down. You flatter me, Paul. (laughs) And the next day I'm just like so sore I can barely walk. But if I had an onsen, I'd probably feel a lot better. Yeah. That just sounds like the perfect activity after snowboarding. It really does. It really does. So this specific mountain seems like a pretty awesome place. For that kind of stuff because it is known for snow monsters right paul yeah uh I, at first i was like what are they talking about snow monsters or they're like yetis that chase you around <laughs> pretty much and there are a lot of them so basically when when conditions are just right all the pine trees that are just covering this mountain they get covered in layers of snow and ice until you can't even tell that they're trees anymore. Like the stuff just gets piled on so thick that they just look like these weird lumpy (laughs) snow monsters. (laughs) Yeah. I saw a picture that probably had 50 trees in it and you couldn't see a single pine needle sticking out of any of them. It was all just snow and ice. Yeah. Like 20, 30 feet high. Right. Like if you showed up and just saw these things, didn't know what they were, you would think, I, what? are those like there's no indication (laughs) that they're actually trees and you know the skiing area is actually flanked by all these trees like all the paths that you're going down on either side you just got a ton of snow monsters and then you get on the ski lift and you can look down at them from above looks awesome yeah in the summer the area also has great hiking apparently and you can still enjoy those hot springs in the summer too Mm -hmm. Uh, yamagata city I saw it has a lot of interesting festivals to check out, and it's supposed to be a good home base for checking out the rest of the prefecture. So I saw a place I thought was really cool. It's called 
Somaro Maiko Tea House. It's in Sakata. It is a traditional high-class restaurant that's been run for over 100 years. It was originally known as Somaya, but they went through a renovation in the year 2000, and now they're called Somaro. Okay. Don't know why. But twice a day, they have Maiko performances. And if you listen to our Geisha episode, you might know that uh, Maiko are Geisha in training. Mm -hmm. Apprentice Geisha. So you get to see them singing and dancing, and they take pictures with everyone afterwards. The whole place just looked really beautiful and photogenic, and it looked like a fun show. Definitely something I would check out if I was in the area. Cool. So they only employ Maiko, huh? Like it sounds like that's like a training ground for the Maiko in the area, and then they must graduate and go somewhere else. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. Hmm. Or maybe just for young women that want to learn that stuff but don't want to be geisha their whole life. Hmm. I'm just making that up, but maybe who knows? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> There's also Ginzan Onsen. So we've talked a lot about Onsen, but the reason that this one caught my eye is apparently this town was the inspiration behind the design for Spirited Away. Okay. so That must be a really pretty place then. Yeah, so if you've seen Spirited Away and you like it, it's traditional Onsen town that just like has that look to it. Yeah. Uh, there's also a really famous tofu shop, which caught my eye because I love tofu. Cool. I got every kind of tofu. I'd get some fried tofu with some nice sauce on it. Mmm. Yeah. And there are a lot of like Japanese foods that you can get at the grocery store or your local Asian market or whatever. But the more we look into like these different traditional foods, the more it sounds like you you just really need to try the fresh stuff made the traditional way. Like go to one of these little specialty shops that only does that and they do it perfectly. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. So speaking of food, mm, yeah, what type of food is Yamagata famous for? Well, one that, Paul, you would not be interested in is <laughs> Yonezawa beef. This is another special beef, one of the main three brands of Japanese beef. Ooh. And these cows are raised on a diet of rice straw, which apparently helps them get perfectly marbled meat. Okay. Paul, you might be more interested in Yamagata's cherries. Oh, yeah. They produce 70% of the country's cherries, and they're supposed to be large, juicy, and sweet. Oh, that's right up my alley. Cherries are so good. They are. Uh, also, watermelons. Oba Nazawa watermelon is grown in the area. So there's really large swings in temperature between day and night in the area, which somehow causes the watermelons to be really high in sugar content. Ooh. So they're used to make wines and sweets. Watermelon wine? Yeah, that wow. sounds really good, right? I can't imagine a watermelon that has enough sugar to make it into wine. That's crazy. Yeah. Huh. Well, back to the cherries for a second. They actually have a cherry festival there. What? Yamagata Cherry Festival. I'm going. And they sell all sorts of cherry-infused products, of course. Cherry sake? I'm sure they have cherry sake, cherry wine, yes. cherry ice cream, all sorts of cherry stuff. And there are a bunch of orchards around the prefecture where you can go pick your own cherries. Ooh. I remember picking strawberries as a kid, and it was like the best thing ever. Yeah, just getting outside, getting the food out of the ground yourself. Yeah, and just eating it all I could. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
So if you go north of Yamagata Prefecture, you're going to run into Akita Prefecture. They have a famous festival, the Kanto Festival. Did you read about that, Paul? Kanto Festival? Yeah. No, I don't think so. Not Kanto like the region. In this context, Kanto is actually referring to these pole lanterns. Uh, So the Kanto Festival, a.k.a. the Pole Lantern Festival, is held every August 3rd to 6th for Tanabata. They have a parade and there's music and these Kanto things, these pole lanterns, they're like these really long bamboo poles and hanging from each pole is a bunch of paper lanterns. So there are these people in the parade, these performers are holding all of these and balancing them on different parts of their bodies, okay? Oh, wow. So, you know, just imagine like this this huge bamboo pole sticking straight up in the air. It's got a bunch of lanterns, like a lot of lanterns at the top. And these people are balancing them on their forehead. They're balancing them on the palms of their hands or their shoulders. Like it's this whole big performance. Why am I just imagining a guy holding one between his butt cheeks because you're paul (laughs) that's that's you why did i go there what's wrong with my brain i don't know i don't know it'd Um, be interesting to see though it would it would be pretty difficult pretty impressive Um, so there are different sizes of these poles but i saw that the biggest ones are up to 39 feet tall. Wow. Can you imagine balancing something that tall? I mean, I can barely hold that with both my hands. Yeah. And 110 pounds. Ooh. And those biggest ones are going to have 46 lanterns on the top. So they have like these crossbars at the top and the lanterns are hanging from those. So it's like a big rectangle of lanterns, if that makes sense. Yeah. That sounds really cool. I want to see it. Yeah, me too. And I saw that if you go to the festival, you might even get a chance to try hoisting one up yourself. Yeah. They'll let you try it out. I'd like to join. It's always fun to join in. Mm -hmm. Another popular destination in Akita is Kakunodate, a former castle town. Yeah. The castle's no longer there, but the town's famous for its traditional samurai homes and a whole bunch of cherry trees. Yeah, it's supposed to have some of the best examples of samurai architecture in the country. It is remarkably unchanged since 1620, is what everything I was reading says. I love that. Yeah, that's a long time ago. Yeah. And there's two distinct areas. There's a samurai district and there's a merchant district. So Hmm. you can see kind of the different styles of the homes and compare how they each were, which is kind of cool. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned cherry blossoms, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I love you know, these just really old style places. And then you got all these cherry blossoms and then you got mountains in the background. Right. Sounds like such a beautiful place. Right. That sounds cool. So the coolest place that I came across while looking at Akita was the Namahage Museum. So Namahage are demon figures from local folklore in the area. So they've got... A bunch of uh, souvenirs of like the demon faces. They've got mascots that are demons. They've got pictures of the surrounding area, giving information about the local culture, about the history of the demon folklore there. Plus there's displays of over 60 life-size Namahage models. And free photos, and you can dress up as a Namahage. 
So it just seems like a lot of fun things you can do. Totally. There's a documentary you can watch in the museum about the Namahage. The coolest part I saw is there's like another little piece connected to this museum where they put on performances. Local actors dress up as the demons. So you're sitting in this old traditional room with like 10 other people. And these demons start rattling the outside of the building. <laughs> then they burst in through the doors, start stamping around and yelling. Um, you know, eventually the father of the house that's there with you offers them sake and food and promises that everyone will behave. And eventually the demons leave, but not before telling the parents in the crowd that if any children are misbehaving, three claps will bring the Namehage back down from the mountains <laughs> and they'll take care of the kids. Uh, wow. So this was apparently something that they did on New Year's to like scare kids straight, basically. Wow. Like, oh, the demons are going to come and get you if you're bad. That's funny. I saw a video of it, and it looked really fun. Yeah. The guy started, like, grabbing one of the girls, like, <laughs> to say, you know, the father of the house had to come over and be like, oh, no, 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 she's good, she's good, leave her alone, you know? Wow. <laughs> Poor kids. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it's one way to raise kids. <laughs> yeah. Well, that sounds fun. You know, I'm always... I always like that old folklore and demons, especially. I know, right? It looked it looked cool. Should we talk about food in Akita? I got one one more thing to mention before we get to food. Okay. Um, I noticed in eastern Akita Prefecture, there's a place called Nuto Onsen, a popular hot spring area with a collection of onsen ryokan, those traditional hot spring hotels, inns, sort of things. And it looks really pretty. Like uh, it's got that rustic traditional feel to it. And it's kind of fun because Nuto Onsen means nipple hot spring. What? Yeah. Don't get too excited, Paul. It's, <laughs> it's named after nearby Mount Nuto, which is apparently shaped like a nipple. Okay. I kind of want to see this mountain now. <laughs> <laughs> I looked it up. You can kind of see it, but okay. I don't know. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, so food, yeah. What is Akita known for? Uh, tanpo. It's freshly cooked rice pounded and wrapped around a skewer of Japanese cedar and then toasted over an open hearth, hmm. often eaten with sweet miso or as dumplings in soup. Sounds good. Sounds kind of like dango. Yeah, I was thinking that too. Must be their own little like version A little of it. twist, yeah. Uh, Akita, known for rice as well. Definitely. They are very famous for their rice. They have a brand called Akita Komachi. It's supposed to be one of the top rice brands in the country. They also have one of Japan's top three breeds of chicken. Top three breed? I didn't know there were like rankings of breeds of chicken. I didn't either, but the <laughs> Hinai chicken are free range and are considered so delicious that they were once offered as a tribute to local samurai lords instead of rice. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you can even find it served raw in the area because they're prepared and served fresh. Raw. Why are, you, why are you looking at me like that, Paul? I'm looking at you like that because I just took an eight-hour food safety class, and they like drilled into our heads, never, ever, ever eat raw poultry. You have to cook it to 165 degrees no matter what, or everybody's going to die. 
That is because we are in the United States and our food safety laws for like raising poultry are not great. <laughs> yeah, I suppose if you knew where our chickens were coming from here. Yeah. <laughs> I've actually eaten raw chicken in Japan. Okay. Uh, at a restaurant in Tokyo. I actually didn't realize it was raw when I ordered it. I didn't read the menu carefully enough. <laughs> oh, wow. That would <laughs> and, be a surprise. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it wasn't bad. And yeah, the chickens, and I mean. didn't die. I am still alive. And raw chicken is safe to eat in Japan because they have much, they're just raised in a better environment. They don't have uh, the same kind of diseases and stuff running rampant over there. Okay. Yep. I'm not going to endorse eating raw chicken, but. You guys can take Jason's word for it. You'll be fine. <laughs> Let's talk about Iwate Prefecture next. Where is that, Jason? Uh, so that's just east of Akita Prefecture. And this is Japan's second largest prefecture Ooh. after Hokkaido. And we're getting pretty far north on Honshu. Not yep. quite all the way to the tip, but we're, up there. We're almost there, yep. I saw that Iwate is marked by common themes of nature worship, traditional folklore, and the prefecture's samurai history. Okay. Sounds about right. Yep. So one place I really want to go to in Iwate is Jodogahama. It means pure land beach. It's a series of rock formations along the coast of Miyako Bay, and it's part of a big national park and a nationally designated place of scenic beauty. So the reason this place is so famous is the way that the rocks and the trees and everything have been weathered by the wind and the rain into these fantastic shapes makes it look like a natural version of a Japanese garden. Okay, yeah. Like if you see pictures of it, you do kind of see like, okay, that does kind of almost look like someone purposely placed it like that yeah so i thought that was really cool like seeing a natural japanese garden like way bigger than any japanese garden is too yeah without the minimization i guess awesome yeah so that caught my eye well, where do you want to go to any wate jason um well you know i mentioned i like caves uh one thing that caught my eye was ryu sendo cave what's that all about it is one of japan's largest limestone caverns oh and they have a string of vivid blue and emerald green underground lakes. What? Yeah, like I've been to caves before, but I don't think I've ever seen an underground lake. Time to go spelunking. Yeah. They actually have Japan's deepest underground lake there. It's 120 meters, almost 400 feet deep. What? Yeah. That's crazy. And it looked like they have lights down in the lakes, like suspended from a cable <laughs> going down there. So it's all lit up. And you can Do you see dive into it. No, you just like walk along this uh, little pathway. Yeah, like going kind of between these lakes. But you can look down there and like see all the rock formations under the water. Okay, and kind of see how just how deep it is. You know, yeah, look yeah. pretty cool. That's cool. They're supposed to be some of the clearest lakes in the world too. So I guess the light helps you just see everything down there. That's awesome. I love clear water. Yeah. And there's a spring in the cave that provides the local population with their tap water. So if you want to take home some of that water, they sell it in the gift shop as a souvenir. <laughs> cool, cool. You know? It also looks like a good place to visit in the summer because it's, you know, caves. It's really cool down there year round. Ah, that's nice. Mm -hmm. 
Paul, I thought you would be interested in a place called Hiraizumi. What's that? This is in southwest Iwate Prefecture. It's a town that was the center of the Tohoku region in the 11th and 12th centuries. So in the history section, we mentioned the Fujiwaras. Mm -hmm. They were ruling the area at that time, and this is apparently where they were based. Okay. So there are still over 3,000 national treasures and historical sites there. Wow. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I would be interested. Yeah, I thought so. (laughs) At Chusonji Temple, there's a golden hall. It's completely covered inside and out in gold, and it's the grave of the three successive heads of the Fujiwara family. Okay. Cool, right? Yeah. So there's a pretty famous place called Gebike Gorge. It's uh, only an hour north of Sendai. Basically, it's a 100-meter tall gorge cut by a river. So you can rent a ride on a boat for about 20 bucks. It's uh, one of those stick boats where they're just like pushing a stick in the ground and they guide you through to see this big waterfall. There's also like a hole in the side of the gorge by the waterfall and you buy these stones that are called balls of luck Hmm. and you get five of them, I think, and you try to throw them into the hole. And if you get them in, then you get lucky. I think there's different ones you could buy. So if you like, oh, I want to buy the romance, luck and romance one. Yeah. And then you like throw them up there. And if you get one in, you, you're going to be lucky in your romance. How big is this hole? Um, Like a few feet wide, but it's like a ways up there. Like people were coming close, but kind of having trouble in like the video I saw. Where does it go? Like, why doesn't it just fill up eventually? I don't know. It must be a pretty big hole back there. Huh. And the rocks are thrown are pretty small. It's supposed to be just very peaceful and relaxing. Like by the time you get back on the boat an hour or two later, you're just like, I'm good, guys. I'm good. <laughs> Sounds nice. <laughs> yeah, a nice little way to get away and enjoy some nature. Yeah. And it could be an easy half-day trip from Sendai. Nice. Another place I saw that looked pretty relaxing is Tenshochi Park in the city of Kitakami. Ooh, you hear anything I, about I like this? parks. They have more than 10,000 cherry blossom trees there. That's a lot of trees. Yeah. And they're planted along this trail parallel to the river. So they basically have like a tunnel of cherry blossoms. Nice. You can, you can walk through there or it looked like you could, uh, you could rent like a horse-drawn cart sort of thing that'll take you through there too. Rivers lined with cherry trees when they're blooming is just like one of the most beautiful things ever in the world. Yeah. 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 That's cool. Yep. So let's talk about food. And we've got to talk about Wonko Soba. Yeah, we do. (laughs) (laughs) So Wonko Soba is a style of Japanese soba noodles originating in Iwate Prefecture. It consists of serving very small amounts of soba noodles in small bowls. So basically how it works is you've got this normal-sized bowl you're eating out of, and someone from the restaurant stands there with stack of little bowls filled with soba noodles, and they just keep dumping them into your bowl. So you eat just like a bite at a time, and then they dump more, and then they dump more, and they just keep going. Mm -hmm. And you like see how many you can eat. Yeah, it's like a food challenge sort of thing. I saw that uh, the biggest eaters might need around 60 bowls. I've seen some people go over 100. Wow. Pushing themselves. It's a lot of noodles. 
Yeah, they. I think they said like the average guy eats like sixty, and the average oh, that's average, and the average woman eats like thirty. Huh. But that's probably just because like the women are there on dates and they're like, oh no, I don't want to be a pig. I don't know. I'm just, <laughs> yeah, maybe. maybe. <laughs> but uh, they're like aggressive too. Like they kind of like almost won't let you stop because like by the time you got the noodles in your mouth, they're putting another one in. <laughs> And like to stop the challenge, you've got to like put something on top of your bowl to like signify I'm done, but you gotta be really quick about it or they're going to put more noodles in there. (laughs) Wow. They also give you a bunch of sides too. So you could like eat other things with the noodles while you're going. Hmm. It looks like a lot of fun. Yeah. Something to try. Iwate Prefecture also has its own special kind of beef. Maezawa beef boasts the A5 rating. That's the highest rating a beef can get in Japan. Okay. Another local specialty is abalone. They serve it raw as sashimi or grilled with soy sauce and butter. All these years, I thought it was pronounced abalone. Shows what I know. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, last but not least, we've got Aomori Prefecture. Yep. We finally made it up there. The northernmost prefecture in the region. So this is... The very northern tip of Honshu, that whole area, is Aomori Prefecture. And it might be best known for the Nebuta Festival, held every August. Probably one of the most famous festivals in Japan, even, because they have these amazing floats. I love the festival floats in Japan, man. But these ones are different than anywhere else. These are special ones. So most festival floats are like these wooden floats with like lanterns hanging from them maybe and they people pull them through the streets but these ones it's like the entire float is a lantern so they're not like shaped like a normal paper lantern it's like they can use these bamboo frames that they make to make the lantern any shape they want so you got these massive floats they're like 30 feet wide and the whole thing is glowing like a lantern and they're shaped into all sorts of things, like really intricate stuff. You can see f- characters from folklore, dragons, samurai, oni. There's some more modern ones too. I think I saw like a Star Wars one or something. <laughs> yeah. Then the whole thing's just glowing. Right? Yeah. It's alive. Yeah. You know, it's all these characters are there in 3D and glowing. It's that's cool. Pretty cool. That's looking. really cool. Did I describe those okay? Did that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I was wondering how to describe them, so I think you did a pretty good job because okay. I was I didn't know what to say at all. <laughs> yeah, they're they're unusual. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. Aomori also has a couple famous national parks. You got Shirakami Sanchi, has a lot of mountains, waterfalls, lakes, and moss. Super green place. Looks really pretty. Another one is Sanriku Fuko, which is along the coast, and there are a lot of really pretty views out there. Lots of cliffs and beaches and cool rock formations jutting out of the water. It's like really pretty places to hike and stuff. I really want to go to Orirase Stream. It's uh, about a five-hour hike along the route. So you get dropped off at the start and you hike along the stream. It's been known for centuries to inspire poets and painters. The route ends at Lake Tawada, which is kind of like a famous lake. And there's multiple waterfalls along the way. There's some bridges you get to cross over that look really cool. 
the quote I think I saw that sums it up the best is walking here is like meditation. So it's just like just a long walk and it just looked incredible to me. I'm really into that sort of thing, you know, hiking in the wilderness like that. Totally. And I would love to visit this region and just like spend a whole week hiking through these beautiful, beautiful places and just spending the nights in like these little tiny remote villages, just getting away from everything, you know? Yeah. Sounds great. Yeah, it does. Did you see anything about a hot spring resort called Aoni Onsen? I remember seeing a couple resorts. I don't have a ton to say about this one, but the thing that caught my eye is that it is lit exclusively with gas lanterns. Oh yeah, I remember, I remember reading about that. So, you know, we're talking about all these old-fashioned places. That would be just so cool. Yeah, I you, kind of feel like you're in the 1880s or something. Totally, yeah. Uh, so another thing that I really want to check out, and I actually, I tried to make it up here on my last trip, actually, and then I found out that it was closed for the season, but there's a place called Osorezan, Fear Mountain. What? Or Dread Mountain, oh, wow. I saw it called. I like that name. And you know that's exactly the kind of thing I'm into. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this mountain is actually an active volcano, and there's a temple in the caldera that's supposed to be one of the gates to the underworld. What? How cool is that? They built a temple inside an active volcano? Yeah. Mad Men. Yeah. So the terrain around the temple is like really barren and sulfurous. Like you just see a lot of rocks and like it looks, it looks like the gateway to the underworld, you know? And it's supposed to resemble descriptions of the Buddhist hell. Okay. So that sounds amazing. I'd take a tour of hell. That sounds fun. Yeah. So what about food? Got some local specialties for Aomori? Apples. Most of Japan's apples are produced at Aomori. Okay. Uh, They're firm and juicy with a really nice balance between sweet and tart, which is exactly what I'm looking for in an apple. Mm. I wonder how they compare to Honeycrisp. Yeah, that'd be fun to see. Yeah. I refuse to buy any apple besides Honeycrisp. Oh, I didn't know you were an apple snob. There's just nothing that compares that I've tried. That's why yeah. I got it. I got it's try hard. These There's ones. so many apples. Like yeah. I don't know. We sell like 20 different apples at my work. I swear. Mm. Honeycrisp are just super sweet and crunchy and amazing. But you know, now they think of it. I mean, they are a little bit too sweet sometimes. So I'd be curious to see these. I wonder these if people ones. outside the Midwest even know what Honeycrisp apples are. Do they get like? Exported I mean, they, around the world? I don't know about the world, but I'm pretty sure they're, like, you can find them anywhere in the country, right? I don't remember. I don't either. Next time I'm traveling, I'll have to look. Or uh, listeners that are not in the Midwest. <laughs> you ever had a Honeycrisp apple before? Yeah, let us know. <laughs> Another thing is they're famous for their black garlic. Yeah. They pickle it in seawater, which darkens it. And it gives it a milder flavor, which makes it useful for some dishes. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. I don't think I've ever had pickled garlic. I'm curious. Not that I can recall. Yeah. Pickle everything, right? Yeah, why not? <laughs> uh, another thing that Aomori is known for is their amazing seafood, which makes a lot of sense because they're right up there by Hokkaido. Yeah, they have coasts on uh, the Pacific and on the Sea of Japan. And on that little strip of water between Hokkaido and uh, Honshu. So there's lots of different types of seafood they can get there too. Yeah. 
All right, so now that we've covered all six prefectures, let's talk a little bit about how to get to and around the Tohoku region. So you can get to any of the prefectures in the region pretty quickly by bullet train. And if you're planning on moving around a lot in the area, you might want to look into the JR Pass, which we've mentioned many times before. Uh, it's a pass that basically gets you unlimited access to all of the bullet trains and other JR lines. Yeah. I also saw that there's a four-day Tohoku Highway bus pass for 10,000 yen, uh, like 100 bucks. And I don't think it works for city buses, but for some of these cities and sites that are away from the major cities, the only way to really get there is by bus. Mm-hmm. So if you get this bus pass, you could just ride all over the prefecture and get wherever you want to go. Yeah, I saw they have a seven-day one, too. You can get four or seven days. Nice. And it gives you unlimited travel on 60 bus routes around the region. Yeah, that's a lot of places you can go. Yeah. Um, You could also rent a car just to give you a little extra freedom, Mm -hmm. move around really quickly, get to the more remote places if that's what you're interested in. Yep. There you go. Not too hard to get around. So to wrap it all up, why should you go to the Tohoku region? So you can be one of the cool people like Jason, one of the 1% that's been to Tohoku. Sure. If you're into winter sports, snow, beautiful natural scenery, onsen resorts, samurai history, so much samurai stuff up there. All those local specialties, a lot of interesting foods to try. Yeah, it's uh, a little easier to get in touch with traditional culture, I think, when you get outside the mega cities. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. You get that flavor of Japan. Yep. All the food, too. How each prefecture is, has its own specialties. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go snowboarding and hang out in some onsen sometime. Agreed. Well, I guess that's the end of the episode. If you have a moment to go to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever it is you found our podcast and give us a review or a rating, that would be super helpful and we would love you forever. If you want to reach out to us, tell us if you've tried Honeycrisp apples, you can send an email to feedback at sightseeingjapanpodcast.com. If you want to see some pretty pictures, check out our Instagram, SJP Podcast. Uh, you can talk to us on there too. Paul, what are we talking about next time? On the next episode, we're going to be talking all about mochi. Delicious. Mm-hmm. It's uh, definitely a versatile snack, that's for sure. Yeah, you can make it into all sorts of stuff. Lots and lots of stuff. We'll talk all about it. Yep. Thanks for listening. See you next time.